Welcome to Powered by Evidence, a podcast by the Global Evaluation Initiative. We're a global partnership of organizations that help governments and public institutions create robust, country-owned monitoring and evaluation systems. In this podcast, we invite experts from our international network and other special guests to explore new ideas and revisit challenges that are still unsolved. We examine failures, reflect on successes, and discuss the way forward. Thank you for sharing your time with us. Hello, everybody. I'm Dugan Fraser. I'm the program manager for the Global Evaluation Initiative. Welcome to our podcast, Powered by Evidence. I'm very, very happy to welcome Estelle Raimondo to the conversation today. She's the methods advisor at the Independent Evaluation Group, where she advises teams on methodological designs and innovations, and she also leads evaluations. With more than 10 years of experience in development evaluation, she's a faculty member of IPDET, the International Program for Development Evaluation Training, and she serves on the board of the European Evaluation Society. Her research has been published in several internationally peer-reviewed journals and manuscripts, and she has a PhD in evaluation research from George Washington University. Welcome, Estelle. It's very nice to have you with us today. Hi, Dugan. Thanks for having me. Um, won't you start by telling us a little bit about the work that you do at the IEG? Sure. Um, so for the longest time, I was wearing two hats. I was, um, you know, working with teams across all of our evaluations to help them set up their evaluation design, think creatively about their methodology, um, and also, you know, assure a little bit of the quality of the work that, that we do. And also, I was leading evaluations, mostly um, thematic evaluations, you know, those that are in the human capital uh, sector, and country program evaluations. Um, more recently, I'm just wearing one hat. It's a big hat. It's the methods advisor. And so I, I'm no longer leading uh, uh, evaluation studies at the moment. So you're the person to talk to about evaluation methods and Obviously, this is a big topic and one that's really interesting. And I'd love to know what you think the big trends at the moment are in evaluation methods and, and what you think drives them. So I think we are at a very exciting time because we, in evaluations, I think we are really going for eclecticism. Um, over the past 10 years, what I've seen is a lot of creativity around evaluation designs and quite a few trends that are ongoing and somehow coming together in a nice way. So the first one, I would say, is that we have broadened the range of impact evaluation uh, methodologies. We used to have a fairly small toolbox, which was randomized controlled trial, uh, which has a lot of strengths, but also some limitations. And over the past 10 years, we've seen a boom in trying to reclaim uh, causal analysis through process tracing, QCA, uh, more theory-based evaluation methodologies that lend themselves to evaluating things that were hard to measure. That's one big trend, I would say. The second is um, trying to harness the power of big data and We've seen a lot of exciting experiments in data science and evaluation. Some of them we are uh, contributing at IEG. So on, on the text side, trying to, to make the most of all the textual data that we have. 
On the geospatial side, really using images as data, that's really exciting as well. And then the third trend is um, to really bring the participatory side of evaluation much more prominently um, in everything we do. Um, and so really embedding techniques, but also approaches that are more from the sociology, ethnography, and more you know, community-based approaches. Um, and in some way, the best evaluations um, are those that really are have a meaningful design based on the questions and not uh, methods driven. So yeah, that's my panoramic view of, of the field. I'm sure there are many other trends that I haven't thought through. I always feel like the methods issue is a really interesting way to understand the world around us. And what do you think uh, the, method, the state of methods says about where we are at as a as a species and and as a series of civilizations. What, what do you think that the eclectic and creative diversity says about how the state of the human animal is at? That's a very good question. I would say that we have finally come to terms with the fact that uh, we can't ignore complexity, that we can't oversimplify and, uh, and consider everything to be linear and tightly fitting in our really liked logical frameworks. Um, and also becoming much more humble about what we can understand about processes of change, which is you know at the core of evaluation. Um, so I think the eclecticism is about really trying to make sense of that complexity around us um, and not being too uh, close to any school of thoughts or any, any tools that could be helpful in that process. Um, so I've seen a bit less of a divide around, you know, quantitative and qualitative or systems approach and more linear thinking, um, but really more willingness to experiment with whatever can help us make sense of that complexity. So desperate times call for desperate yes, measures. <laughs> I think so. And trying to finally, you know, get rid of the walls that uh, of, of, that we're... Um, that divide us. Yes, because yeah. we're all in it together. <laughs> and it's a, it's a very complicated uh, reality that we're trying to make sense of, especially since COVID, but even before. When was EES? Was it in June this year? Evaluation, European Evaluation Society? Yeah, I think it was in June in Copenhagen. And it was, for me, uh, uh, I think maybe the first big event that I attended since COVID. And so it had a real intensity and there was a kind of um, wildness about that sense of being in big spaces with a whole lot of strangers that gave the whole conversation a real urgency. And I really enjoyed the conference. But one of the highlights for me was, in fact, your closing plenary, um, where you spoke uh, about something that I found really interesting. You and Peter Darla Larson talked about this idea of a skeptical turn in evaluations and, and particularly in relation to evaluation systems. Would you mind telling us a little bit about what that was all about and how you kind of came to assume that position? And, and maybe to start with, if I could ask you to 
explain what you understand an evaluation system to be and and then to talk about the skeptical turn and what that means. Sure. Thanks, Dugan. Yeah, I agree that it was a really uh, mo a great moment, this evaluation conference, because at last we were coming back together and uh, the energy was really nice. Also, the sense of urgency that, you know, evaluation needs to be meaningful and has a purpose and a mission in, a, in complicated times. And so our keynote was really a little bit of a call for taking that moment quite seriously, including revisiting some of the ideologies that have underpinned uh, the practice of evaluation and evaluation systems uh, in the past few decades. So let me start maybe by my own definition of evaluation, which is, uh, it has kind of three components. The first is, I really think that it's about applying meaningfully so social science investigative approaches um, to answer questions that are about determining the value and worth of particular programs or activities or policies with the view of informing decision-making processes, whether they are embedded in organizations or whether they are more collective and, and driven by communities and societies. So these are three important pieces of evaluation. Evaluation systems for us with Peter is when there is this institutionalization of the practice of evaluation, when you start having rules, codification, policies, governance systems around evaluation with the goal of rendering the conduct of evaluation more systematic. So these are evaluation systems. This is this set of rules, routines, norms um, that uh, underlie the practice of evaluations, usually embedded in organizations. And the skeptical turn um, this idea is something that Peter has been working on for a long time, but me as well, maybe less long. Still, my dissertation had some of these ideas already embedded, is that we need to apply as skeptical a look at the practice of evaluation as we do when we evaluate programs. And we can't assume uh, that evaluation is always the right solution for any kind of problem. The problem with this routinization of evaluations, this codification, this transformation of evaluation into standard operating procedures, is that we no longer even ask, is evaluation the right thing to do to address that particular problem? Do we have a good sense that evaluability is high? And we end up having evaluation supply that is a little bit disconnected from the problems. So let me stop here as kind of a first introduction to the skeptical turn. Um, um, yeah, look, I mean, I find it so interesting because, as you know, the, the Global Evaluation Initiative is established to promote, in fact, the very thing that you're describing one needs to be, that you're explaining one needs to be skeptical about. Um, so it's interesting for me because you're coming at it from from the opposite direction in, in that I'm saying we need more of this thing and you're saying, yeah, but not too much, um, which I think is 
is totally valid and and extremely interesting. And I think it's the the mindfulness and the care that needs to characterize evaluation on which we are both agreed. And and I think that one of the big issues that you raise is around the institutionalization of evaluation. And one of the things I'm constantly reflecting on is how the way evaluation is structured in an institution, i.e. often as a freestanding independent entity, does encourage a disconnect from the decision-making around the intervention that's being evaluated. But before we get into that, I, I, I want to just ask you how your, your, your plenary presentation was received. What kind of feedback did you get? Did people disagree furiously and weep in the aisles or, or how did it go down? It's a little bit hard to know because those who probably were, you know, not really, uh, not, not super well, I mean, didn't receive it particularly well, didn't come and tell us. Um, so <laughs> we have a biased view. I would imagine that, you know, it didn't sit well with everyone. There are people who perhaps don't live in the same empirical reality of, of a lot of codification of evaluation um, for whom it might not have resonated as well. But we got enough feedback that uh, that the message landed quite well and prominently with a lot of people, um, mostly evaluators who have felt straight-jacketed by, by this movement of codification and routinization a you know, host of consultants, um, independent consultants who are commissioned to conduct evaluation that have, you know, the five DAC criteria and uh, that's the rule. And even if it doesn't fit the situation, that's what they have to do. Or evaluators who are evaluating, again, the same policy because there is this mandate that every five years we need to evaluate that particular program, even if the recommendations from the previous one haven't been incorporated or evaluators who really see vividly that their work is not being used. Um, so I think our message landed with many realities. The main question that then needs to be asked is we are in agreement on the diagnostic. How do we move in the right direction? given the past dependence of our systems, systems that have been established for decades um, are really, really hard to change. Just because if we stop doing something, then we won't have the continuity of the data. We have that at the World Bank really clearly. Um, even if there is awareness that the system doesn't work as well as we would want, changing it seems like a huge risk because many stakeholders are wedded to one system, even if it doesn't serve their needs very well. So it's the then what that is more important in some way. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm forced to then ask the question, so how would one do it differently? I, I mean, let's let's talk about transitioning from from a not great system to a better one in a moment. But but before we talk about the transition, what, what might... Uh, an evaluation system looked like that wasn't basically 
a ritualized performative act that is, as you say, sort of codified and routinized into meaninglessness? What would an evaluation system be that was, in fact, really adding value? The question of use is, of course, central. And the risk in moving into the institutionalization is that this use piece is lost. You know, decades ago in the 60s and the 70s, when um, evaluation was mostly an ad hoc activity, except in some organizations, uh, the question of use was central. We were, there was no mandate to conduct evaluation unless you really had a clear use. At the same time, there were also limitations, very, very valid ones of having just ad hoc um, evaluation being commissioned here and there and no real uh, systems underlying them. But as we moved towards more institutionalization, the question of use became completely secondary. So for instance, you can have evaluations that are justified just because it's the first evaluation on a topic. It's not because there is a particular problem that needs to be addressed or there is a decision point that needs to be informed. An evaluation system that is more meaningful and fit for purpose is one where the question of use is really at the center. And we wouldn't just codify the supply of evaluation for the sake of it being systematic. Um, that's one aspect. The second is an evaluation system that is really open to feedback and feedback not only by evaluators, because that's another trait, right? So who evaluates, who guards the garden of the city, who evaluates the evaluators? It's often other evaluators. And so, you know, in our uh, keynote, we were mentioning that having an opportunity space for others to give feedback is very important. So a system that is willing to be scrutinized. And the third point for me is a system that is open to change. We, in evaluation, we keep actually, you know, evaluating programs and advocating for adaptive management and advocating for uh, more flexibility and evidence-based decisions. Our evaluation systems, especially when they have you know, lived in organization for a while and are so routinized, are so slow to change. And there are very few opportunities to really rethink some of the tenets. And so that would be a third really important feature of a well-functioning evaluation system, one, one that can move and including quite drastically. Wow. That's a description that not many evaluation systems I know of can meet. In summary, you're saying that they need to be centered around use. You're saying they need to be open to feedback from others, not just evaluators, and that the system itself needs to be willing to change. And, you know, I think that's really valid in, in institutions where the evaluation system is, is baked in and, it, and it's present. But... You know, in many of the places where we work in the GEI, our job is to is to help invent evaluation systems and to construct them from scratch. And I think this idea that they be nimble and agile and flexible and adaptive is 
is quite challenging in in many of the contexts we work in. So that's that's really interesting. Uh, it it also said sorry. Did you want to jump in? I wanted to jump in because it's also the opportunity space to build those systems in the right way and learn from the systems that have been, you know, institutionalized and and really not uh, necessarily follow suit on some of the aspects. I mean, I'm not saying that they are completely dysfunctional. There are things that work really well, but having learned from that experience, there are features that you can think of. And so this idea of routine feedback is something that does not necessarily need to be onerous, but it's the idea that every so many years, we are open to understanding the consequences of the systems even beyond what they were setting out to do, these constitutive effects that we we don't necessarily know when we design. So, you know, the issue of gaming ratings, the issue of evaluations that are uh, check the box, and being open to that possibility and revisiting the system after a few years is is something that can be sought through at the, at the outset. Um, and also trying to maybe be more piloting at the beginning than we tend to do in building evaluation systems where very quickly we want everything to be systematic, being willing to have a phase of piloting and understanding the needs might be something doable. I don't know. I want to come back to something you you mentioned, which is this idea of putting use at the center of evaluation systems. And often when people talk to me about an evaluation, I find myself saying to them, what decision is it that you want the findings from this evaluation to be useful for? And when you ask people that question, they often can't tell you because they aren't thinking about a specific decision that they want evidence to support. And I was also thinking about an earlier point you made about evaluability assessments, and and people don't really do those much anymore. They were a thing a few years back. Do you think there's space to be much more intentional about use? I I mean, you'll, you'll be familiar with Michael Quinn Patton's distinctions of the various kinds of use. Um, you know, it's not always just the, the the findings that are useful. It's often the process of doing an evaluation is very helpful. And there's a number of other different types of use. But do, do you think in designing evaluations and, and in institutionalizing evaluation systems, there's a, there's a role for a much more focused conversation about use when we do these evaluations what are we going to use them for is is that something you think would be helpful definitely uh, i think there are several opportunity points in even in systems that have been routinized that we don't exploit as well as we could because we are very supply driven oftentimes one particular aspect is oftentimes it's clear that the use only comes out after because several years after an evaluation has been done, perhaps. But there are still possibilities of thinking through the maturity level of a program, for instance, right? If if a program is um, fairly nascent, 
still in trial and error mode, this is a space where evaluation can be particularly useful, uh, perhaps. There are other spaces in where the evaluation might not be the right uh, approach and uh, a program might need something else, um, an audit uh, at some point. You know, So the idea that evaluation can be a high priority under certain circumstances and a low priority under others is quite refreshing because we are in this, uh, oftentimes in systems where evaluation is the go-to mostly for legitimacy purposes and not necessarily for use. Um, so rethinking the value added of a particular evaluation for the, the, the types of programs or where they are in their life cycle could also be something done more, more routinely. Last point, you mentioned evaluability assessment. You said, yes, that's not something that we do anymore, which is really interesting and it's, it's true. And we call for a renaissance of evaluability assessment, the real ones, not designing projects so that they are evaluable, but thinking about whether evaluation is the right thing at, the right, at that moment, whether we have the right data to even have a meaningful evaluation, whether there is an opening for use or window of opportunity to change anything. These are two big questions of evaluability that if we embedded them a little bit more often, we would probably increase the value added of evaluations. When you think about alternatives to evaluation, you, you've, you mentioned auditing or audits, and you know we evaluators hate the thought <laughs> that you could ever do an audit instead of an evaluation. That's a um, heretical suggestion on your part. I hope you're going to apologize. <laughs> <laughs> what else might you do instead of an evaluation? Yeah. Um Sometimes audits are useful. I, I <laughs> extend by that, um, but absolutely. So, so for instance, sometimes you really need actual research if you are at the at the you know again a very experimental stage, or if um, you have a very clear question um, that uh, can be answered by a, a much more research approach. That's possible. You could also have more participatory processes um, that independent evaluations, for instance, cannot really carry out. Um, you can have a range of, of other options that don't require a full-on evaluation. It could be um, a first stage or, or an embedded um, action research type of uh, exercise. It really depends on, again, the maturity of the program and what what is expected of uh, the exercise. And sometimes evaluations are not the right thing to do at that moment. We just have to accept that, I think, that others uh, are, are equally, um, you know, have an equally valid proposition. On the other hand, sometimes evaluations are very needed and they are kept at arm's Lens. So it's it's not that, you know, again, it's this fit for purposeness idea uh, that could be mainstreamed a little bit more. Such an interesting conversation. Um, and I, I really appreciate the, the, the willingness on your part to say some of the, the difficult things that we as evaluators need to hear. One of the things you didn't mention, which 
um, has come up a lot recently is is the whole field of monitoring uh, and and sort of performance and progress reporting as as interventions get implemented and and the the people involved in in the work are are given an opportunity to feedback. As we sort of wrap up this conversation, would you have particular advice that you'd want to share with people like me who are working in developing countries, promoting the idea of evaluation systems and helping them put evaluation systems in place? Yes, thanks for mentioning monitoring. Of course, it's it's also a set of activities that you know are, are really important. Again, done well, making sure that we don't monitor 35 indicators if we know that we're only going to use five, for instance, you know, this idea. Or, or three, or one. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so I don't know if it's words of wisdom, really, because, um, again, we, we have different experiences and you, you probably have a lot of really good ideas. So let me just think about a few nuggets. I think making clear that evaluation can be a very meaningful activity, not just to avoid risks, not just to tick a box, not just for legitimacy purposes, but really for functional use, right? I think that should be a starting point, but also recognizing that getting there will require some trial and error would be something important to share because often we want ready-made solution that, you know, we look at the neighbor, how they've done it and um, just apply a recipe and all the norms and standards that, for instance, you know, the ECG or UNEG or OECD, there is valid elements to that, but always adapting to context is really important. The second, and we've discussed this, is trying to avoid path dependence at all costs, meaning really embedding this idea of feedback and possibility of change. Even not nimble and agile at a first go, but really being thoughtful about this idea of feedback processes into the evaluation system. And the third thing is to try to find ways to avoid uh, the conundrum of independent evaluation systems that become isolated. Independence shouldn't be isolation. And I don't have a recipe for that, but recognizing that, emphasizing the accountability and the rules of distance will come at a cost if overdone. So yeah, these are three ideas. I think that this question of how to avoid independence equaling isolating is so important. And I think it's something that um, that we'll think about hard. Along with everything else that we've discussed today, it's been a really fascinating conversation. Um, thank you so much. And I look forward to staying in touch with you on these issues as we build these systems and work together in the IEG. Thank you so much, Dugan, for you know enjoying the keynote and and asking me to discuss a little bit further. It's been uh, extremely helpful for me to take care. Bye bye. 
Bye. Thanks for listening to Powered by Evidence. I hope you enjoyed the discussion. This is our pilot season, so we'd love to hear what you think. Please join the conversation. You can find us on Twitter and LinkedIn or leave a comment on the podcast page on the GEI website at globalevaluationinitiative.org. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. 